This Ace Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Check out their spring collection. Go to linksoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to nestbedding.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away back, goal! Go hey, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of A's Cast Live. We got a wonderful show for you today as we're talking a lot about Major League Baseball, what's going on in the league. Some fascinating things to get into today that's not exactly A's. We will get into some A's. Ben McDonald, longtime pitcher, former number one overall draft pick out of LSU. He, go Tigers. Go Tigers. Thank you. Uh, ben, Ma- ben McDonald will be here at 1.30, longtime pitcher, now broadcaster for the Orioles, and Melissa Lockhart from The Athletic, down on the farm. What's happening on the farm? Have you ever been to a farm? I grew up in Western PA, so the answer is yes. Okay, so <laughs> we're going to go down on a farm and find out what's going on the farm as we're all hoping for a big debut from Kevin Smith yesterday, and that did not happen, so... And when does she think, if things continue to go like the way they're going, when does the farm come to the big city? That's an interesting question. Will she know? Well, we're going to ask her coming up here at 2 o'clock. So, Ben McDonald at 1.30, Melissa Lockhart at 2 o'clock. How are you, Cody? How are you doing today? I'm good. You're right. There are a lot of uh, fascinating things that, uh, that are not age-related that we found fascinating out about. Fascinating things in baseball. But you know what? I'm trying to break the streak out. I don't always bust it out. I'm going with the A's coffee mug today. Because yesterday we thought it was going to be the Mandalorian taking the helmet off. Put the helmet back on. Put that damn helmet back on. Today it's about the A's coffee mug. I don't always bust it out. Because it is special to me. It's one of the first gifts I got from a general manager when I started 95-7 the game. It was basically a re-gift. The A's signed the deal with 95-7 the game. And remember, well, it wasn't 95-7 the game yet. It was still a country station, right? Was it 95-7 the Wolf? 95.7 the Wolf. Here's Chris Townsend. It's time for A's baseball. Um, And when we were turning it over, I was in his office, and he says to me, here, you'd, you'd appreciate this. I believe Ken Priest gave it to him, and then it was given to me. So it reminds me of the old days of when we were at a different place. Maybe it will bring luck today. How are you today? What do you got? You got anything special for me today? What do you got, Cody? 
No, I'm just I'm fascinated with. Well, the Rays are now ten and zero. Yeah, so got a lot of info on that. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Uh, what else are we thinking? Blue Jays home opener, new ballpark dimensions. That's really interesting. Uh, that is actually fascinating. We got to fix our guys here. They got a little out of whack. Um, as I can, I can always tell when I look. How's Ricky doing? What's up with Ricky? Rick, Ricky, there you go. Ricky's got to go here. It's Raleigh is in front of the A of A's. Yeah. All right. There we go. Um, yeah. How would you want to change? Because the Rogers Center, hard to believe. Like when I woke up today and I started doing my preparation, that it's kind of crazy that the Blue Jays haven't had a home opener yet. Like I like the, I was looking at the notes after ten game road trips, starting the season on the road for ten games. Can you imagine how brutal that would be for the entire traveling party? You've been in where they train Bradington, Florida, uh, Dunedin, Dunedin. Yep. So you're in Dunedin, Florida, which I have no clue where Dunedin, Florida is. Neither. So that's where they're. From. I would gamble that it's in Central Florida somewhere. Look it up. The Blue Jay Spring Training, Dunedin. I don't even know how to spell it. Dunedin, Florida is well. It's a five-hour flight from San Francisco. It's on Florida's Gulf it's Coast. Dun- Dunedin, Florida? No, it's Dunedin. That's what Dunedin? That's how, I've, that's how I've ever heard always heard everyone say. That's it. always I mean, that's yeah. not how it's spelled. Go to Blue Jays, go to Blue Jays Spring Training. And of course, they played games here during COVID because they could not play at home. So they actually started the season TD Ballpark in Dunedin. So, where is it it's it's on it's it's near it's on on the Gulf side. Yeah, let's see. What's I pull up the map? Let's see what. Let's see. If oh yeah, it's on the Gulf side. Yeah, there. What's what's the major closest city? Clearwater. I mean, it's it's not, I guess the closest. Oh, they're city. on the other side of Tampa. Yeah, they're not that far from St. Petersburg. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they're on the other side of Tampa. So, you think about it. You were down. The, you're you're down on the uh, on the west coast of Florida for over a month for spring training, and then you start the season. 10 days on the road? So you haven't even been to Canada. Looks like that was at 21, were they, remember, because they couldn't play in Canada yet? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, they played. It's like twice in three years they've had to do this. (laughs) Yeah, they had to play in Buffalo. But think about it now. Like, we don't have that anymore, and now you're just playing your first game. Well, they have changed the dimensions of the Rogers Center, and we will get into that a little bit later. Because it is fascinating how it changes the ballpark because it also coincides with what we're dealing with today, which is the changes that you see dramatically. I have them here for Camden Yards, how much that has changed. And I have the home run numbers. They're staggering on how much they have changed. There would probably would have been three more home runs last night in the uh, off the A's if you had the old dimensions. The old dimensions were a joke. We can talk to Ben McDonald about that also. But what this is telling you is teams are changing their ballparks, not their teams. They're always changing their teams, but they're, they're trying to change their, their ballparks based on their, their players at times. And that's kind of crazy that you're going to invest this money into changing walls and fences and moving in and moving out. Uh, if you could change the Coliseum. How would you change the Coliseum if you could change it? If we could say, 
If they can't, if Clay Wood came to us and Dave Renetti, VP of Stadium Operations, the great David Renetti, who has been working for the A's since he's like 11 years old, he's going to be like Steve Vucinich. At some point, you're going to look up and go, Dave Renetti has worked here for 60 years? How is that possible? He's been an employee for the Athletics since he was like 11. I know. It's wild to think about. And we did that great interview with him, yeah, by the way. Still still on AceCast. You can still get the podcast, athletics.com slash AceCast. We need to do another one of those. I, I would say, if I had a pick, if there's anything I would say, because um, people are going to go, well, get rid of Mount Davis. That's not something we can get rid of. I would say, Yeah, I'd say get rid of Mount Davis. Okay. All right, so that would one. be awesome. That's one. Mount Davis is the most youth, useless structure. Maybe I might. I have no research on this. I have no data. I'm completely out of my backside on this one. But I'm going to say that Mount Davis is the most expensive, useless addition to a American sports facility in the history of our country. I don't, I don't think I'm going out on a limb there. Yep. But I may be. Once again, I have not researched this. And, you know, there are calculators that you can go back and say how much a million dollars back in 1901 versus 2023. There's calculators of what a million dollars then would be now. Right. You can do that. So I don't know if they did something. I'm just I'm once again, I'm just spitballing here. The polo grounds or something. Or Forbes Field or Griffin, whatever, and all those old school parks, if they added something that would have been, well, back then they spent 500000 but 500000 back then is like $200 million now. I don't know. I'm just saying Mount Davis wasn't cheap. Mount Davis was, there should be an investigation on it. Certain people made money off Mount Davis when they should have just built a new ballpark. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's scandalous, and it is the worst addition to a sports facility and most expensive in the history of American sports. And that is what your elected officials came up with. Your elected officials. The elected officials that were elected by the public made those decisions. And it's awful. So, yes, I would love to get rid of Mount Davis. It was useless. It's useless for the A's. It was useless for the Raiders. Awful, awful, awful. What was the last time we... The 2019 wildcard game against the Rays? That's the last time Mount Davis has been used? The, the Raiders tarped it off. Yeah, that's what I mean. It has been used. It's, it's it, a it, joke. The suites, are, I mean, the suites are terrible. I mean, the whole the whole design is terrible. The thing leaks, and I don't even want to get into that. I, I mean, I, I can tell you some stuff that I don't want I don't <laughs> want to get in trouble. But I can tell you, I've been told about, we already know it sinks. And they got to every once in a while put concrete to prop it back up. But there's a lot of issues with Mount Davis. Places that. So, yes, I'd like to get rid of Mount Davis. But right now, for, for this exercise, we can't. Maybe What would you change? I'd maybe take down the uh, scoreboard in left field and just put them all in one. Put it all in right. That way it's open right there in left field. Because if, if you hit it on top of the scoreboard out there. That way, if it just goes over the fence, it's a home run. Instead of hit, have to go up. Oh, okay, up. yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to say because it's yeah, like yeah. that on left? Maybe the shelf. Right yeah, there you go. The shelf. Because we got a shelf saying. in right center and left center. Yeah, I would say just have maybe have one. Yeah, I don't like shelves either. It's like it's either out or it's not. What's the deal? Yeah, is this gone? Yeah, if you get rid of both, and where do you put? When that? the umpires are like, eh, eh, well, 
Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, where do you put the out-of-town scoreboard if you do that, though? I, who ca- I don't care about the out-of-town Whoa, scoreboard. Whoa, people want to see what the I, Astros nobody, are doing. Nobody cares about the out-of-town scoreboard. So, yeah, maybe take the – that would be my first thing. Take those down. Maybe move center field back so Mike Trout's not hitting five foot – he has to hit it further when he hits home runs. I want to – I want to – I, I want to throw out a game today. If you were, let's say, at the ballpark today, you're at the Collie, and – are you really looking up to see what the score is between the Reds and the Braves? That you couldn't lose, you know, when so you they can't look up on your phone when now. they developed the out of town scoreboards, we didn't have this. Yeah, no. Now that we have this out of town score, if I really want to know what the score is of a game, does anybody care until the end of the year when you start scoreboard watching? If your team's in it, if your team's not in it, you don't care. Out of town score. I I, I like what you're saying though. I like how. Your to me, I, I would. I would like to bring center field in. Okay, I was saying push it back because of Mike Trout, but yeah, bring it in. I'd like to bring center field in because too many times do you see guys get good wood on you? You, you know, someone who'd oppose me on this would say, "Well, during day games, well, we don't have enough day games. We've got way more cold night games where guys get good wood." And center fielder's not even at the track, right? Maybe at the track, before the track. There's just too many games where dead central, it, it just plays deep. The wind comes in from right center. You see the flags way up to up right center where they used to light the Al Davis torch. Those things are – and the bowl just swirls, right? So, really, when you look at de- dead central and you look to the right and to the left of it, it's just – it takes such a big poke to get out of there, and I'd like to see that moved in a little bit. I agree with that. Especially Other than that, I think for the most part, the ballpark plays fair. Yeah, I mean, I, I, aside from taking down the shelves – I don't the, want a band box. No, because now they're – isn't what they're saying about what could happen with Rogers Center, so – Yeah, Rogers Center, we'll have some numbers on it. Yeah. It's going to be like – so when all the – when all the – when you see – Blue Jay players, numbers go up. Just remember, they, they're they now turning their ballpark into potentially the number one home run ballpark in baseball. Uh, and that, that ballpark already played small. so Correct. So it's going to be interesting. I predicted Josh Donaldson when he left the A's. I said, watch, he's going to have – he's going to go to all those small ballparks in the AL East, and he's going to dominate. And what happened? He dominated. He, he won, won the MVP. He won the MVP. Uh, so are you saying that if Chris Bryant would have signed with the Blue Jays, he'd hit a home run at Rogers Center? No, because he's at Coors Field, and he should hit probably <laughs> so 35 home runs a year at Coors Field. Didn't check last night, but in going into last night, he still has not hit a home run at Coors Field. Still does How not have that? a home run at Coors Field how's in 31 that, games. How's that possible? I mean, he's hitting 295, but he has a negative war and an OPS plus under 100 right now in the season. What was his contract? Seven for something? It wasn't $200 million, so he's not even sniffing Rendon for the worst contract. Uh, no, Rendon also got late scratch last night as well, so he's Yeah, he's again. only 182. 82. Seven Rend- for 182. Rendon and, and, and our good friend Alex Jensen, the voice of the uh, Stockton Ports, we were playing golf together, and he challenged me on this. He goes, well, what about Strasburg? And I went, and as a good host, I'm always going to turn it so I'm right. <laughs> so... I spun it to where, well, the difference, because Strasburg and Rendon are the exact same. It's 245 mil. Yep. 
the difference is Strasburg got hurt. Hurt to where he can't play, which means the contract will be covered by insurance. Rendon's still playing. Rendon's been hurt, but Rendon is the kind of hurt to where hurt, not hurt, IL, comeback, was not able to finish last year, but he's the kind of hurt they're paying. And he's had, and he's uh, he's only had that one big year, and it was the year they won the World Series in 2019. Other than that, he's been a a good player. That year, 19's an outlier year for him. It was he was great that year. He has he hasn't been able to do it before or after uh, that year. And Strasburg, at least when he was when he's healthy, he's good. But he has been healthy since he signed that contract. That was 2019. The guy has the guy's made like how many starts? It's under 30, I think. Well, under 30 since he signed that contract. So, yeah, Brian Steele's nowhere near as, near as bad as either of those, but Rendon's is by far the worst. Uh, this has just come out. MLB.com has sent it out. The title of the article is, Otani, who else, has mastered the hottest new pitch? The sweeper is the hottest pitch in baseball, and Shohei Otani is the face of it. More and more MLB pitchers embrace big-breaking slider variant sweepers unlike traditional tighter tighter sliders, are defined by their Frisbee-like horizontal movement, which I keep telling you is a what? Slurve. It's a slurve. They're throwing a slurve is what we called in my generation called a slurve. They're just calling it a sweeper. But it's not a slider, but it's the hottest new pitch. Because you know why? And all pitching coach back pitching coaches back in the day, it's, it's funny how sports evolve. Pitching coaches back in the day hated you throwing it because they either wanted the vertical curveball or the tight slider. They didn't want this in between. But the great thing about the slurve is you can throw it as hard as you want. You're just slinging that thing. And it's, shoo! They hated it, but it's tough to hit. So I'm happy for the, sl- for the slurve. But you want to call it a sweeper? It is a, it's a slurve. It's a traditional slurve. No matter what they want to say. By the way, I need to make an apology. I need to I need to call myself out and make a correctness to something I said last night on the A's Clubhouse show. Can I have the floor for an apology? Uh, yes. I need to apologize to the Philadelphia Athletics because some of them may be rolling over in their grave. I don't think there's anybody left around who was a part of the Philadelphia Athletics. I, uh, I'd be hard-pressed to know. If I but I, I got to be a man, and I got to own it. So you're telling me Connie Mack's not roaming around anywhere? It's a t- great Connie Mack. <laughs> Eddie Collins. Eddie Collins. <laughs> Mickey Cochran. <laughs> <laughs> to all the great – what was the – uh, tr- uh, Pitcher. Uh, lefty Grove. Lefty Grove. I Lefty, I apologize. Uh, Jimmy Fox. Double X. Last night I said that the A's run differential of minus 49 through 10 games, which is the second worst in modern baseball, they tie the who? You sent it to me, but I forget now. The 1988 Orioles. Oh, that team started, wait for it, 0-22. Yes. So they did not get to the record in the live ball era. So in the live ball era, 1920 on, the worst run differential is minus 52. I mistake, misspoke last night, and I said the Philadelphia Athletics minus 52 hold the all-time record. I apologize to anybody 
who is associated with the – even though at times there was greatness with Philadelphia and they were garbage. But I apologize to the Philadelphia Athletics. The Kansas City Athletics are on the board. <laughs> it was the Kansas City Athletics, not the Philadelphia Athletics, who in 1955 through the first 10 games were a minus 52 run differential. A's right now are minus 49. We are talking about ballparks. Orioles moved their wall back. They didn't move that wall back. They, would have been, they could have been with a couple of those I can only go on the, the data, <laughs> and it's minus 49. But my apologies to anybody up above who was upset with me last night throwing the Philadelphia Athletics under the bus. It's the Kansas City Athletics. And I'm just not talking about our organization. This is all time. Worst run differential through the first 10 games. The A's right now are sniffing the worst, worst since 1920. They're just off by a few runs. That's where we're at. And you can't sugarcoat that. There's there's no, and let me tell you something. All the people who were blowing me up at the start before the season have gone silent on my on my phone. I haven't been getting any texts lately. A lot of people believe this was going to be a far better year. I still has the still has the chance. But this is a really bad start. You're not doing anything well. I mean, you're not pitching well, you're not hitting well, and you're not playing defense. God knows you're not stealing bags. No, they're seven for seven on the year, though. Great. You should, caught. should be stealing. I mean, you're not going. You're not hitting home runs. Fifth fewest in home runs. Fourth most hit into double plays. They're 29th in team batting average and 20th in team OPS. Second, second lowest in batting average at 198. Third lowest in OPS at 595. 0-5 during the day. 2-3 and three at night. Both your wins came in the final at-bat. You don't have a win. Well, hey, you don't care about starting pitching. Who has the two wins, you know? Trevor May. Trevor May. No starter has a win. But well, you don't care about wins anyway, so what does it matter? Well, you don't care. On. There's a reason why. There's you only, don't care. Only two guys have gone past – I've gone five complete innings. Kyle, Kyle Muller twice and J.P. Sears last night. You don't care about starters getting wins. So we'll see what happens when your starters don't get wins. How's it work for you? Well, well, they're not pitching long enough to get a win. How's it work <laughs> for you? It's not working out. No. But if you want to be positive, the 2-8 and eight start, it's the worst record after 10 games with the 0-1 team. That 0-1 team, I think they're pretty good that year. Hudson Mulder and Zito walking through that door. Tata. Giambi, the MVP, uh, right? No, he was MVP in 2000. Ichiro was 0-1. 01 yeah, it was just, yeah. And then Tata was 0-2, is yep, that right? Correct. Giambi should have been the MVP in 0-1. Go back and look at the numbers. He was robbed. His whole Ichiro slap-hitting guy out of nowhere. Rookie of the year and MVP. He was a joke. Uh, Giambi in 2001. It's because they won 180 games that year. 47 doubles. Uh, 38 home runs, 120 RBIs, walked 129 times, a 1,137 OPS. And this guy's not the MVP. And he, hit, but he hit 342. Didn't lead the league. He okay. Let, let's go over these numbers again. This guy wins the MVP in 2000. Uh, he might be on steroids. Uh, Giambi, <laughs> give me Giambi's numbers again. Not winning the MVP. Wait a minute, and give me all the statistics he led all of baseball in. Uh, doubles with 47. So he led baseball in doubles. Uh, walks. Walks. Uh, the, Does the, it matter how he get on base? No. 
Uh, he had a 477 on base. So he's leading on base. 660 slug and a 1,137 OPS. OPS. 199 OPS plus. But your writers, they're old school. Give me Ichiro's weak year. How did Ichiro win the MVP over Jason Giambi? That is unbelievable. Ichiro in 2001, he led baseball in hits. He led baseball in steals. He led baseball in batting average. He beat him by eight points. Your old school guys look at batting eight average. Eight points. Giambi didn't lead in home runs. He only had eight home runs. He's a leadoff hitter. He only had I – mean, Giambi had more doubles than this guy. Yeah, well. So he slapped a bunch of base hits, and you you were one of them. Oh, Ichiro, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Jason Giambi was way better of a player than Ichiro in 2000. What What's Ichiro's OPS? 838. <laughs> what's his OPS plus? 126. 126 to 199. Who was the MVP? It's probably Giambi. Wow. Jason Giambi. But who would have led in home runs in RBI that year? Manny or A-Rod? Because Giambi didn't lead in home runs or RBI that year. So who would have led in? I don't know. Well, I'm just trying to think of the American well, League. It's a steroid era. It could have been a, a handful of guys. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, it was A-Rod, 52 home runs. Brett Boone led in RBIs. Like I said, there was a lot of steroid guys. It was a loosey-goosey era. Come on. Let's be Soon real. to be uh, father-in-law of Nick Allen, Brett Boone. Oh, really? Didn't know that. Savannah? That's Nick his... Allen's fiance is Brett Boone's daughter. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's even more you know. Part of the Boone family, the legendary Boone fam- baseball family. Brett Ma- Boone had how many RBIs? 141. Wow. Manny Ramirez had it down near there. He only hit 41 and drove in 125. Wow. Boone, yeah, 37 homers, 141 runs driven in, a 331 average, 950 OPS. How silly were we back then to think, well, this is amazing what these guys are doing. <laughs> uh, Brett Boone had 100. Brett Boone was a weak-hitting second baseman at one point. Next thing you know, he's juiced up, and he has 141 RBIs. Oh, my God. The MVP race was actually close. Each only won by eight points. Uh, Giambi had such a better year than Ichiro, it's a joke. Uh, he also led in war with 9.2. Who? Giambi. He had a better war? By about a point and a half. You writers. I could call up every writer from 2000. 2001. Or 2001. It's a joke. Coming up next, the dimensions have changed at Rogers Center. They've also changed at Camden Yards, and it's dramatically affected the Orioles and their team. We'll talk to Ben McDonald, the former big right-hander, next right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Towns, and there are two things that are a must for me, comfort and style. Whether I'm playing golf, going to dinner, I've got to have the right feel. That's why I've partnered with Link Soul, and you're going to love Link Soul. They have just released their new spring line, new fabrics for their polos, lightweight and perfect for technical performance. Link Soul also has new styles for their layers and hoodies with cool prints and seasonal colors. You know what they say in the big leagues, look good, play good. Go to LinkSoul.com. That's LinkSoul.com. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Well, we'd like to welcome back the big right-hander. You talk about a great career in Major League Baseball. Of course, was the number one overall pick, was a gold medalist. Uh, and I think, without a doubt, the, in the Crew Cut Hall of Fame, the great Ben McDonald <laughs> is with us uh, once again. How are you? 
Man, I'm doing good, Chris. How about you guys? Everything good? Everything is good except for a rough start. The A's, uh, as you know, I mean, you start out like this, you're digging yourself a big-time hole. Yeah, look, it's tough. I mean, you see the A's right now and struggling, right? Offensively struggling, pitching, the pitching staff. I know there's some injuries mixed in there. And, uh, of course, Muller going tonight. Now, he's been pretty good. You know, he's been their opening day starter, and he was, he's been solid for you. So, I think it's going to be a really good game tonight. Grayson Rodriguez, you know, making his Oriole debut here in Camden Yards. Had his first big league start the other day in Texas. So, good pitching matchup tonight. But, yeah, you know, I look at the A's, and I see the A's kind of where the Orioles were, say, a couple of years ago, in the middle of a huge rebuild. And I know it's difficult for A's fans. It was very difficult for us as Oriole fans to go through that rebuild. But sometimes you got to take a few steps back. Because if I remember correctly, the A's were playoff teams, what, in 18, 19, and 20, I Correct, think, you yeah. know, and above 521. And, of course, lost over 100 games last year. So this is kind of what you go through with the smaller market clubs from time to time. And, uh, you know, we're on the other side of our rebuild. It feels like you guys are right in the middle of y'all's right now. You know, I think you're a perfect guy to ask because you know what it's like to have all the hype about you and then you're coming to town. We just had it with, with Fuji, Shintaro Fujinami, our Japanese pitcher, who on opening day we had T-shirts made. You talk about Rodriguez going tonight. You guys are going to give out shirts there. I mean, when it's this huge debut and it's your first time in front of the home crowd, just, you know, there's enough pressure just going out there getting outs. What's it like putting all this extra promotional pressure on these guys? Well, I mean, look, it's a lot. And for a young guy like Grayson Rodriguez, who was a first-round draft pick, he was the number one pitching prospect in baseball a couple of years ago. Probably should have made his debut last year. I, th I felt like he was one start away in AAA, and he had a lat issue, and the lat issue kept him, you know, on the shelf for about three months and really wasn't enough time to get him back to the big leagues last year. He got called up really quick because of an injury to Kyle Bradish. He made his start in Texas. But this is the home opener, and so can you go out? Can you control your emotions as a 22-, 23-year-old kid? kid, especially in front of the home folks. But I'll say this. Grayson Rodriguez is a lot more mature than I was. I was in the big leagues at 21 and didn't know really what it was all about. I came straight from college to the big leagues. At least he's had some years in the minor leagues to kind of see what pro ball is about. But still, he's a very emotional kid. Of course, his mom and dad's here. He wants yeah. to do well desperately. So, you know, I think the first inning for him is going to be the most important. If he can navigate through that first inning and stack a zero, he could be off and running for a while. If you could sit him down and you could just have a conversation with him with everything that you've been through, what would be the number one key you would give him going into this start? Well, I would give him the same advice that Cal Ripken Jr. gave me when I made my first start here many, many years ago. And he said, listen, the game's not changed. It's a little bit harder. It's still 60 feet, 6 inches from that pitching rubber to home plate. It is still 90 feet from base to base out there, although not quite 90 feet anymore since we got bigger bases. But uh, that's a different subject. But he said, listen, the game's tougher. If you make good pitches, you'll get guys out. If you make bad pitches and you make mistakes, your mistakes are magnified at the big league level. It is a very tough place to learn how to pitch at the big league level. I went through that. I know how difficult. There was so many nights I went home and I banged my head on the wall wondering why I couldn't get big league hitters out consistently. And then finally, you get about 200 innings in the big leagues and that light bulb starts to flicker a little bit and you start to figure things out. But I would just tell Grayson, go out and fill up the strike zone. Go throw your best stuff. Don't try to nitpick around. Be aggressive in the zone because when we're aggressive as pitchers and we put hitters on defense right away, and Grayson's got some big-time stuff, right? Fastball's going to average 97. 
you're going to see a really good changeup and a really nice slider and occasional curveball too. So he has the stuff. The question is, can he be aggressive in the strike zone? As you guys know, he had some control issues that we didn't see last year in the minor leagues. He has some control issues in spring training this year. That's the reason why he didn't make the club, and then he gets called up because of an injury. So he was solid against the Rangers, gave up one, gave up two runs in the first inning, and then four consecutive shutout innings. So certainly something for him to build off of. You have some of the best Cal Ripken Jr. stories. I mean, I think about Cal Ripken calling your pitches. <laughs> I mean, just when Cal Ripken comes over to talk to you and you're a young player, I mean, because we don't think of him being a very vocal guy, right? He wasn't Mr. Right. Media guy. We just, Cal was a star, a great player, two-time MVP, the streak and all of that. Just when Cal Ripken came over, and talk, came over to talk to you, what was that like? It was, yes, sir, Mr. Ripken. You know, I mean, I, the story with him calling the pitches is Chris Hoyles was a young catcher too, right? Yeah. And 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 Cal just, and he wasn't a very vocal guy. He would just kind of sit back, and he didn't force himself on anybody. But, he, you know, me and, me and Chris was in, in the clubhouse after a game, and I think I'd given up four runs in five minutes, got knocked out of the game, and we're trying to figure some stuff out. And he sticks his head, and he goes, would you guys like some help? And I said, yes, sir, Mr. Ripken, I would love some help. He said, because you guys don't have a clue of what you're doing. I go, no, sir, Mr. Ripken, I'm 21 years old. I just came from LSU, and I have not a clue of what I'm doing up here. And so he started to develop a way that we would sit down, and he would call pitches from shortstop. And then we would sit down with a six-pack of beer after the game, and we would talk about certain situations on, this is why I wanted to throw Paul Molitor like this with a runner on second. This is why I wanted to pitch him like this with two out and nobody on. And so I, that was my learning curve in the big leagues was sitting down with Cal after games and learning what the big leagues and what hitters were looking for and what their approach was to me. And then Rick Sutcliffe came along the following year, who I could really relate to, six foot seven pitcher yeah. like me. And that was kind of my learning curve in the big leagues. But there's a bunch of stories about Junior, most of which I can't tell on the air uh, <laughs> or on the radio or TV. But um he was a big part. And, you know, Cal came from a small town, Aberdeen, Maryland. I came from a very small town, Louisiana. And for whatever reason, he took a liking to me and realized that I had some struggles and a lot of pressure on me like he did when he came up. And so he certainly was a big part of me maturing and settling into the big leagues for sure. I got a crazy stat for you. So we're talking about today how the Rogers Center, they're changing the dimensions in Toronto. You talk about the changes there at Candom Yards. So the changes from year to year. In 2021, there were 277 home runs hit at Camden Yards. Last year, 151. So moving the fences back and moving the fences up changed a difference of 126 less yeah. home runs in a year. That's crazy. And we saw it last night. There could have been three more home runs for the Orioles if it was last year's uh, no dimensions. Doubt. You know that. I always say, hey, where was that wall when I was pitching here when it was 364 out the left center field? I feel like my ERA would have been much better, you know. But listen, the way I look at it for 30 years, this was a hitter's ballpark big time. I mean, you talk to any opposing team, any opposing hitter and say, what's your favorite ballpark hitting? They all would say Camden Yards. And now – I feel like it's more fair. Now, the humidifier had something to do with everything, too. The balls didn't fly quite like they did in previous years last year. But certainly pushing that wall back made a difference for right-handed hitters. There's still not been a left-handed hitter to clear that wall yet in a ballgame. Shohei Otani flew out to the 398 mark that I'm looking at last year. He was the closest left-handed hitter. Uh, but you've got to really hit it to get out. But I like that part because, for, you know, for years, the Orioles could not – could not go out and sign free agent right-handed. You know, pitchers did not want to pitch in this ballpark. It was a difficult park. So we've gone from maybe the most homer-friendly ballpark to probably one of the top five or six pitcher ballparks out there. And so 
Pitching and defense is how the Orioles won last year. We don't have a great explosive offense. We're going to win with pitching and defense this year. Our bullpen was our backbone last year. It is getting into shape this year. And so I kind of like it as a pitcher. You Now, it's still small all the way around the right field. You can hit some homers, and the left-handers will do really well here still. But you got to really get a hold of it to get it out of left field now, no doubt about it. I had the stats yesterday about Rushman, how he doesn't hit as well right-handed as left-handed. And, w- and what does he do? He hits a home run right-handed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This kid coming out of Oregon State, as good as advertised. Just tell us how yeah. special this backstop is. Uh, you know, I mean, we heard about him. I got to cover him at the College World Series and see him as a freshman and a, and a junior when they won the national championship. I felt like when I saw him his junior year, he was big league ready defensively then. Now, I thought the bat needed to catch up a little bit. He spent a little bit of time in the minor leagues. But, look, it's special. You know, it's special on both sides of the ball. Let's start with his offense. First of all, you know, he's hitting from the right side. He's hitting left-handers now when he bats right-handed. He's always been able to hit the ball. You know, he homered two days ago left-handed down the line. He homered yesterday uh, to you know, on the right side. Um Swing decisions, right? You don't see many young players come to the big leagues with a very uh, great understanding of the strike zone. Adley has that. So you won't see him swing and miss at balls out of the zone a whole lot. He's got a real good understanding of the strike zone. You know about his walk total. He walks as much as anybody. So it's a very disciplined approach. He understands who he is and how to attack. He's learning really quickly. Uh, there's been no adjustment defensively as far as calling pitches. Like, he fell right in and called a great game. You talk to our pitchers here in Baltimore, and they love the fingers he puts down. Or in today's world, the buttons that he pushes uh, to get the pitch comp system working. And so, he's really good there. And if you watch him defensively, he was one of the best in the game last year at blocking balls. Now, he's not been quite as good this year, but he's a difference maker. We knew that. Uh, when he got called up, our record really changed. Our wins went up a lot last year. And he just gives you a middle of the yard of bat and a really above average backstop behind home plate. And look, we know about the center of the defense. If you can be strong up the middle with your catcher and your middle infielders and your center fielder, and we have Mullins out there, you can have a really good defense. And the Orioles, while we've made a few mistakes this year, the defense will be a key to our success this year as well. All right, one last baseball. Then I have an extra one about college. Uh, that's about my family, actually. But the last baseball one is you've been through and you've seen it. What would you say if Mark Kotze brought you down to talk to these A's players about this season and about having to be able to forget about what's happened so far and focus on the now what kind of advice would you give to the ace players? Look, I think that's a great that's a great question. And if I was Mark Kotsay, I would just say, hey, continue the path, right? I mean, there was a time three years ago, the Orioles lost 100 games in a row, three years in a row, I think it was. Uh, it was difficult for our players. But you're learning as you go. And I was looking at you, your guys' lineup. You know, there's a lot of young guys out there. You know, I mean, Smith's 26, Capel's 25, Ruiz is 24, Rooker's 28. Uh, Langoliers is 25. So you guys have a young position player group. So I think it's stay the course. Don't get frustrated so much with the score on the scoreboard, although we all want to win. We're competitors, but you're learning at the big league level. This is going to turn around. There's some difficult times right now, but we need to stay the course and continue to get better every day. That's all you can do. The good news for Oakland is nobody in the Western Division seems like they want to take the ball and run with it right now. And so while it's been a rough start, you know, at two and eight, there's still nobody that's taken off in the Western Division. Uh, you know, Oakland gets hot and strings and wins together. They're going to be right there. So we'll see what happens. Nobody thought the Orioles were going to go from where we went two years ago to winning 31 more games than what we won. So anything's possible in the game of baseball. Certainly in a rush streak right now. But I think when I look at your team, you get some guys back from injuries. This is going to be a very, very competitive team. It doesn't look like it right now. But listen, we've only seen a sample size of the season so far. 
All right, so I have twin girls who are juniors in high school, and we're starting to look at colleges. And I, I've spent a lot of time in New Orleans. I've done Super Bowls, Final Fours, Arena Bowls. I've, I've spent a lot of time. I've actually done a couple games at LSU football. And all of a sudden, they're asking me about LSU, and then they're asking me about Tulane. And I'm like, sending my kids to college in New Orleans, good or bad idea? Wow. Look, I live an hour from New Orleans. I go down there about once a year. If that means anything to you. you know, I just, you know, I just, you know, once you've seen Mardi Gras a couple of times, you know, the restaurants in Baton Rouge are just as good. New Orleans is a cool place to visit. I don't know that I would want to live down there. If they're looking for that great college experience, it's hard to steer anybody away from LSU. I mean, the sports programs that we have, the things that you have to do in Baton Rouge. I mean, the baseball team's ranked number one. The football team had a great year. Our girls' basketball team just won the national championship in basketball behind Kill Mulkey. Baton Rouge is an awesome place to go to school if you're looking for that college experience. And although we get pegged as a party school, and I'm going to be honest, we party a little bit. Oh, yes, you do. I mean, we, look, we look for a reason to party. It's still a <laughs> solid education, too, and it's a wonderful. My son is a student at LSU right now. Could have gone anywhere to go to school, but he wanted that LSU experience as well. Yeah, when she brought up Tulane, I, went, I know it's a really good school, but, man, in New Orleans, that could be a bad idea. Hey, yeah. it, it is always a treat to have you on. You know how much I, I've told you in the past growing up as a college baseball player, but I was watching you in high school. You were a huge inspiration to us. I love having you on my program. Uh, continued success, and let's talk later in the season. I appreciate the kind words. Look forward to that. You guys take care. The great Ben McDonald right here. You remember how big, I mean, he was a star. The the original, remember Stanford got him, Stanford beat him, as Stanford won the two national titles in the late 80s. But when it came to ESPN and baseball and the College World Series, you had that era of Mississippi State, which was Palmero, Will Clark, the Cowboy Jeff Brantley, uh, Bobby Thigpen, and then it was LSU, and it was him. And he was the number one overall pick, and uh, Ben McDonald. And now you think, how many more, how many more wins, and how much lower would the ERA be, and how much bigger the war would be for Mike Mussina if he pitched in this ballpark? Now, what would Ben McDonald's numbers? He was seventy-eight and seventy, right? That's a quality career. Seventy-eight and seventy made millions, right? What would his? What would these guys' numbers be? Because Camden Yards was a joke. That was a, it was it was home run derby. What would Mike Mussina be? Because you saw Mike Mussina in his last year won twenty games. What was his ERA at, at Yankee Stadium? Oh, at, at Yankee Stadium, I have to look that up. Well, just overall, oh, well, yeah, three thirty seven. Okay, eight. he he was how old? Thirty nine. Thirty nine years old had a three three seven and won twenty games. Can't tell me that means nothing. 20 wins in a 3-3-7 at 39 years old. It's pretty impressive. And made 34 starts. Okay. At Yankee Stadium, more of a pitcher's ballpark other than right field, right? The rest of the Yankee Stadium's, you know, right center to right, eh, but center field, left center. Think about if he pitched where, listen to this, folks. They raised the outfield fences six feet. They pushed back the fence and left all the way out, as we saw last night. 26 and a half feet. They pushed it back. That's changed from one year to another. 126 less home runs at Camden Yards. 126. 
Do you think that's crazy? You think they're? It's because they're so mad that Glaber Torres was owning them. Remember how many home runs he kept hitting it? I'm just saying, how would that change, Musine? I yeah. mean, think of all the great uh, Oriole pitchers or really good Oriole pitchers that you know their numbers were skewed because their ballpark was truly built for one thing: offense, home run derby. You were seeing a finish in the top five of Cy Young with the Blue Jays. One, two, three, four, five times. Yeah, sorry, Orioles, five times. But if we just went back to all those different Oriole pitchers and you just went back and you went through their staffs and you went through their numbers, I mean, this this is a difference. The, the changes in their ballpark changed the ballpark by 126 home runs. How many home runs did the A's hit last year? Uh, let's just, just, I'm going to give you an idea. The A's who lost 102 games. How many home runs did the A's hit as a as a, as a team? The change in dimensions changed it by 126 home runs. Did we even hit 126 home runs last year? 137. Think about that. 137. This changed 126. 126 less home runs. The year the year of 2021, they had 277 home runs at their ballpark. It's crazy. What was the we were following it? We were tracking it one year. I can't remember which year it was. How many home runs they gave up as a staff? I'm sorry, I was tracking because I was so blown away. They gave up like three hundred and something home runs as a pitching staff. Like it, they b- obliterated the record. It was 2019. Cause it was the year the Twins and Yankees hit three hundred and something, and they gave up like three hundred and fifty home runs that year as a pitching staff. It's remarkable. Uh, ben McDonald also you said mentioned how he's a one one. The Orioles have had three one ones in their history. Can you can you name them? The what? The Orioles have had three players go 1-1 one, one in, the, in the draft. Ben McDonald's one. The, the other... Orioles have had three players go number one overall. Yep. It's only three in the history of their franchise. Two of them have happened more uh, in the last, I don't know, we'll say six years. Well, Rushman. Rushman. I would have gone Jeffrey Hammonds out of Stanford, but you just said, and that's my error. I played against Hammonds. Uh, you're saying he just recently yeah. went? It was last year. Actually, this oh, was recent. Oh, Gunner? It was uh, – Jackson Holiday, Matt Holiday's son. Oh, that's right. Those are the three guys. Ben McDonald, Adley Rushman, and Jackson Holiday. The Orioles, a historic franchise, have only had the number one pick three times. And they, they were bad for three straight years, and they had the number one pick with just Rushman. And then they had it with Jackson Holiday. So it's pretty good. It's pretty remarkable success that the Orioles have had the Oriole way. And then they kind of finally kind of lost away for a while. And They haven't had success. In- no, I've been mean, talking about back then. That's why they never oh, had the number ba- one pick. Oh, yeah, back then. Well, the only reason they didn't number one pick in 89 is because they lost. They started 0-22 in 1988. I mean, all you have to do, if, if you are an A's fan and you're older, you know this. If you're an A's fan and you're younger, you just got to go research your history and see how many times the A's teed it up against the Orioles in the playoffs. I mean, you go back to the 70s. I mean, this is, you know, the clashes. I mean, the Orioles were always there, late 60s, 70s. The Orioles were there in the 80s. I mean, this is a fran- very proud franchise. They were the original. I know the Dodgers had their way, you know, the Dodger way, but the original whose way is it was the Oriole way, right? As the Yankees were always taking other people's properties, I mean, they were about development. We're going to get you in, and you're going to play baseball the way it's meant to be played. Now, they were they were always built on the on, on being the as Earl Weaver, the three-run home run team. But what they did was they pitched. Four 20-game winners. I was just looking at that team right now. I mean, they just they, 
they played defense. They pitched. They had quality players. They had good athletes. And, you know, they haven't been good since. I mean, that they had the, with Buck Showalter recently had that quick little brief return. But even though as much as we go, oh, the Orioles, they won 83 games last year. And who knows? I mean, maybe, just maybe, I mean, they're off to a 5-5 five and five start. Maybe they'll have some success, but we'll see. Yeah, all you want to see is improvement. Like, that's what Ben was talking about with the A's. Like, yeah, they're starting out bad, but, you know, it's still early. In the, well, not early. But they still have time to, you know, they win five in a row. They're they're right back in it early in the year. I mean, we'll know how the rest of the season. But I'm just talking about right now. He said it. No one in the, For no the one, A's, I, you got to figure out how to get competitive. Yeah. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not, I mean. You're not shooting. You shouldn't be shooting for the West I, right I'm now. not worried about record. I'm not. I mean, I, you, you need to tell me how you're going to be competitive. How are you going to be competitive on the mound? How are you going to be competitive at the plate? And how are you going to be competitive defensively? That right now, I don't want to hear about record. I don't want to hear about any data. I don't want to hear about the only thing with the A's, three things. How are you going to be competitive on the mound? How are you going to be competitive at the plate? And how are you going to be competitive defensively? Because right now, you have not been competitive. You're not competing. You're throwing guys out there. There's guys wearing uniforms, but you're not competitive. I mean, the scores show it. When you, after 10 games, you're minus 49 in run differential. You are not competitive. You're a few runs off the worst run differential in the history of baseball through 10 games. You're not competitive. You're not competing. You're putting on uniforms. You're collecting a check, but... And I, and I hate to be that harsh, and I've, I've tried to be more positive because it's early in the season, but it is what it is. And somebody, you know, luckily you got a guy going tonight who has been competitive, and Kyle Muller. Uh, and, and I'll say it again, J.P. Sears, you may, you may not love his outing, but if your number five guy in today's baseball gives you five innings, three runs, you'll take that. Yeah. I'm not asking you speed. J.P. Sears is not 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 your one, not your two. Not, he's your five guy. He's the guy you would skip. He is a guy that you'd put in the bullpen for long if you needed it. If that guy gives you five and three, you're okay with that. Yeah, and, and like I said, he's only the second pitcher this year for the A's to go five innings. I mean, Mahler's done it twice. Five innings on opening night and five and two-thirds against Cleveland, and then J.P. Sears last night, where it didn't look like he was going to go five innings after the inning he had, but – he rebounded and pitched well. I mean, Kyle Gibson looked the same way. He had like 30, how many pitches did he have in the first inning? And then very economical. But, yeah, J.P. Sears looked good last night pitching for a guy that we didn't even know was going to make he a rotation. He looked okay. Let's not oversell it. He looked okay. He was okay. Opposed to, compared to what we've seen so but far he, this year, he but, looked, but looked Cy Young. He was okay. Five innings, three runs from your number five guy is okay. Now, when you score one or zero runs in five of your first ten games – that is going to be a problem. I'm not going to sit here and over – I'm going to be honest, Sears was okay. But that's – I'm not expecting him to be anything more than that. He gave me some innings. I was in the game. He left. That could have been worse, but it is what it is. But they're not competitive right now in, in any aspect. You can't look at any aspect of how the game – it's a sport. How is the sport played? They're not competitive in any of the – I mean – Everything you look at, offense, defense, it's just not it's not there. So before I worry about two and eight or eight and eight or whatever the record is, I gotta I gotta see you go out there and actually scare some people. I mean, you're talking about 
you just got shut out two games, 11 nothing, and then you go out and lose 5-1. I mean, that's not – and unfortunately, people are looking at the Rays going, what have they done? I do have a theory, though, about all the home runs. I don't know. Do you listen to the postgame show? Only a little bit. I listened to the full thing the night before, but no, not a lot of it yesterday. I have a – we have Melissa. I have a – do you have the X-Files, my X-Files conspiracy theory music? I can get it. I don't have it. I have, I have an – I have a – I have a conspiracy, and you know I believe in just about every conspiracy <laughs> there is. Um, my conspiracy, how is launch angle down and home runs are up? Launch angle down, so it means less guys swinging for the fences – and home runs are up. How was that possible? Hmm. Maybe, maybe they're aiming for line drive home runs. My conspiracy theory is this. Baseball knew changing the rules was a gamble. They knew it. They absolutely knew it, right? We're going to – less shifting. Pitchers are going to be, you know, throwing faster. They got all this stuff going on. They had to make sure one thing still happened so they wouldn't get criticized. Like if all you gotta have a you gotta have a um, a contingency plan, as they say, right? Plan B. What's your plan B? Well, plan B is no matter what, if 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 all of a sudden pitchers if all of a sudden pitchers and hitters couldn't adjust. Let's say, let's say this was a train wreck right now. Pitchers can't get the ball off in time. Hitters can't get in the box. They're just a bunch of morons who can't follow rules, right? Shifting. We knew shifting would create more offense. But let's just say the new rules, new bases look like a joke. It looks like pizza boxes out there. Let's say it's a Manford ball is a mess, as they're saying it. The one thing they could fall back on, home runs. As long as there were still home runs going. We know they can. We know there's different sets of balls, folks. Yeah, I'll play the play it. We know there's certain balls that are sent to certain. All these balls are sent to teams, right? They're labeled. Why are they labeled? Why are they going into humidors and the boxes are labeled? And people have had pictures of it. Well, why are there different labels to different boxes? And why are why are certain balls? We have heard have been said, use this for Sunday night baseball. Use this for primetime games on Saturday. We have heard, that's a conspiracy theory. They're telling teams, teams won't admit it, of when, we don't have to worry about it because we're not on those games. But they're, 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 remember the Mets? Yes. Eric Chavez threw it out there. Chavi was like, Eric Chavez, Eric Chavez, however you want to say it. Chavi, basically, he called it out going, there's different balls for different games. That's Oakland A's Hall of Famer and hitting coach for the Mets said there's different balls for different games. So maybe they juiced up the balls again just to make sure that if things didn't go well with the new rules, there was at least going to be home runs and entertainment. I've seen people talk about that on Twitter about the home run, like the balls being different. For sure. I mean, I think we're always – we're never going to know. It's going to be a thing every year about the balls. Well – there's too much evidence that there's boxes with different labeling that's put into home, that's put into humidors. There's people who have leaked it. We're being told to use certain balls for certain games. As long as you're still doing that, 
If you're just not saying, hey, here's the baseball, this is what it is, hey, everybody, chop it open, dissect it. Every ball is pretty much the same. Now, with the way that they make base baseballs, it's going to be hard that every ball is perfect. But we understand, like, every football is not the same. Hell, golf balls are made by machines, and not every golf ball is the same. But they're pretty damn close, right? Every football is pretty close. Baseball, when they've chopped them open, especially for the past couple of years, we know the 2019 baseball was juiced. We know that. Then all of a sudden, the baseball started flying not as far. I mean, the data tells you that. The data tells you how ball how how balls are flying differently. So it's like, is it a conspiracy theory? I don't know. But as long as we're getting information that the baseball delivered to teams that are put into humidors are labeled differently, and certain teams have been told at certain times when to use what baseballs for what games, it leaves it open, the conspiracy theory. And that's why I say, you know what? Baseball needed one thing going into this season. As long as they still got home runs, if the rules are crazy and it's not working, at least ball's flying out of the ballpark, there's entertainment. Now what's happened is rules are working. Games are faster, offense is up, teams are running, shifting, no shifting, so the batting average ball put in play is up for righties and lefties. All of it is working, but home runs are still up with launch angle being down. That's, that's home very- runs being up with launch angle being down. If that doesn't make you go, what's going on? Something's going on. I agree. It's very uh, fishy, as they say. Maybe we should reach out to our source who know, uh, knows how, how this stuff works, see what they're finding. You think Melissa knows? I mean, she's pretty dialed in. Was she ever on X-Files? I don't know. Let's find out. I mean, I know she does an outstanding job with The Athletic. I know. Melissa, when we start talking, Melissa Lockhart from The Athletic joins us here on Ace Cast Live. Uh, put on your X-Files gear, your conspiracy uh, hat on. Launch angle down, home runs are up. What do you think? Oh, I love a good conspiracy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, I mean, I think I think you're absolutely right that as long as they're not being transparent about where the what you know what baseballs are made of, what's inside all of them that we're seeing the same one in every game, it, there's no reason we're not going to have these conspiracy theories. Um, I do think there's been some bad pitching involved, <laughs> especially yeah. some of the bad pitching we've seen early in uh, for, for this particular team. But, um, you know, I, I do think that it, the Aaron Judge chase was so compelling last year um, that it would be hard for me to believe they wouldn't do everything they could to have some semblance of that this year, uh, even with all the changes and everything else that was going on. So you, you've been covering baseball for how many years? Uh, since 2004, so, you know, five years ago. <laughs> so when you start thinking about what we're doing with these players that are coming in with these early starts, if not first starts, I talked about Fuji's first start going, you know, I know it wasn't great, but there was a lot going on, right? His mom's over. You got the entire Japanese media there because of Otani. Otani's the biggest star in the game. He's worldwide star now. We gave out a ton of T-shirts. I mean, there was all kinds of added stuff we put on Fuji's first start. And this Grayson Rodriguez kid, they're giving away T. The first 10,000 fans tonight 
will receive a Grayson Rodriguez Welcome to the Show t-shirt. I mean, the amount, I mean, you've been covering this a long time. We draft these guys. There's a lot of hype. There's more hype about them than ever before because we can follow them more than ever before. The world's a lot smaller with social media. We can watch all the games now on on, on, on our computers. We can watch all the minor league games. I mean, this extra pressure we're putting on these guys with their early starts, what do you think about that? I do think the Rodriguez thing is kind of amazing considering they didn't have him on the opening day roster. <laughs> That's a quick turnaround on, on t-shirts, right? You know, here's a guy they two weeks ago, they said wasn't ready for the big leagues. And this week, not only is he pitching for them, but you know, they've got a t-shirt for him, but um, I mean, I'm kidding. You know, he's, he's would have been in the big leagues last year for most of the year. Had he not gotten hurt, he's a fabulous pitcher. And I think those shirts will be collector's items, but um, it, it is a lot of pressure. That being said, I think, these kids play under a lot of pressure for their whole lives now. You know, they're on the showcase circuit from the time they're like 12 years old. Um, you know, they're on social media right away. So people are following them from the time that they're uh, in their first year of high school. And if they're playing in college, especially these SEC kids, I mean, some of those stadiums yeah. are 17,000 fans and they've got a whole network that follows them all the time. I mean, it's, you know, um, it's nothing new for a lot of these kids and, and the best ones thrive on it. So um, I, I like that this is happening. I think we want to promote our young players. I think the reason the NFL has been so popular in large part is because the new talent that comes in is hyped up right away. You know, same with the NBA, right? Like yeah. you're not going to have uh, like Victor mania in baseball because of the way that the development process is, but why not try to capture it with Corbin Carroll's when they're ready? So um, I, I, you know, I think there's a lot to a positive to that, but it does take some mental toughness and, and a lot of these kids have shown a lot of it. That is such a great point. You hit the nail on the head right there. I mean, you know, the old days of you got to have all these innings in the minor leagues and you got to have all these bats in the minor leagues. And then you're looking at these other sports, these guys are coming in, I mean, you're coming out of college ready to go and make a difference in the NFL, or you got guys coming. You're basically out of high school. You may have to have one year in college, and you're playing in the NBA. I mean, you're kind of, so it's almost like I understand how old school evaluators want it, but the new school says I don't got these front office people. Some of them they don't have jobs long enough to wait for some of these guys to have all those abs or all those innings. I need guys to come up now. I need some sizzle on the steak. Yeah. And, and I think also, you know, the development process is so different too, because a lot of these guys are getting good coaching early. You know, you, you used to be, you couldn't get a good coach till you were a pro. Uh, and now, you know, a lot of these guys are getting really good coaching yeah. in high school and they're getting really good coaching in college. I mean, you look at LSU, they've got a major league pitching coach as their pitching coach. Every single one of those kids is going to come in with almost three years of professional experience with the way that that coaching staff is set up. So, um, you know, I think that's, um, kind of changed a lot of the the trajectory a little bit. Um, and the fact that guys get hurt quicker too, when it comes to pitching, you almost want to get them there faster before they break down, which is the unfortunate flip side of all of it. Now I can't say this for all division one programs, but most division one programs, if you're a player coming out of one of these programs versus a high school guy drafted and immediately signing and go minor league baseball, there's no question you've had more access to data, technology, and coaching coming out of college than you do at the minor league level. That's just fact. Absolutely. Yeah, no no question. And I think that gap is getting wider and wider, too. You know, you see some of, some of these programs, that they almost have more sophisticated, um, you know, locker rooms and 
and uh, development systems than minor league teams do. You know, like, I mean, it's almost embarrassing, but you see some of these setups and it's like they're taking a step back to go into a minor league system. So um, I, I think there is a lot more benefit to going to college now. The fact that there's NILs that can make it even lucrative, um, you know, for these players may see that trend increase over the next few years when we see fewer and fewer high school kids come out. And I think that's okay. You know, we don't, we don't need these guys to be in the minor leagues for six or seven years. You know, there's no reason we can't get these guys there quicker. I was living and dying with every pitch with Kevin Smith at the plate. I so want him to do well. He is such a good guy. I really like him. Uh, I, I, I respect that he struggled and figured it out and played well at the end of the year and had a good spring. I do think it's telling, and I think all A's fans, and I've said, wink, wink, you need to look at this. There is a reason he got brought up when an outfielder went on the IL, and there's a reason why for the second straight night he's starting at shortstop. Yeah, no, I I think that's true, and I think – I mean, yeah, last night was certainly the three of those at bats. You kind of were like, oh, man, that one, you know, second at bat when he hit that ball as hard as he hit it, it, if it had been somewhere else, I think I wonder how the next two at bats would have gone. I feel like there's a certain confidence that comes from getting one to fall. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's he's a very good defender. He's not a Nick Allen defender, but he's a very good defender. And he can certainly handle shortstop really well. Um, and I, I was kind of wondering why Diaz was their shortstop to begin with. But if you're kind of seeing Kevin Smith there for two straight nights and against a right-hander, you know, it's not like he's going in against a southpaw. Um, I, I think there's an indication there that he might get a bit of a run. When you look at this start for the team and you look at how some of the players have been utilized, is there anything for you that may be head scratching? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that Brett Booker's in the lineup today. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of don't know why he's been on the roster if he isn't going to be playing more than he has. Um, he doesn't necessarily fill a particular position need that you would have thought the team, you know, absolutely had to have. And when you consider that they did let Christian Pache go and then weren't using Brent Rooker a lot. Um, that that seemed a little bit head scratching, just because if you're going to be able to carry an outfielder, you're not using that much a right-handed guy. Um, I, I'm not so sure why you wouldn't have made that guy Tashe, who at least had some sort of element to his game and defensively that could have added to you know at least a bench situation right away. Um, so that's a little bit head scratching. Um, you know, I think the 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 starting pitching. We talked about this when you know Cole Irvin was traded there was a lot of kind of risk that you're pulling out the most stable pole in that rotation, regardless of whether the upside was there or not. You know, he was a guy that got out there every fifth day. Um, He got you into the fifth or sixth inning pretty regularly. Um, He didn't walk a ton of guys and, and that destabilization was something that they were going to take a big risk if they were going to take that away. And you've seen that right away that the two injuries that came out of spring training completely destabilized this rotation. And there's a couple of guys that have been out there that, you know, in a normal situation, they, they should have been back in AAA, I would think by now. So, um, you know, I, I, there's nothing they could have done by the time they got to that point in spring training, you know, when those guys got hurt. But I think that the risk that they took in trading Urban and even trading AJ Puck, to be honest, you know, when you look at the fact that the bullpen has been a bit unstable in the back end as well, um, neither of those pitchers were perfect pitchers, but the stability that they brought to that group, you know, it's been felt that it isn't there right now. 
Tyler Soderstrom, I mean, he just continues to hit. I, I think it's interesting how he continues to catch also. I understand you got Dermis Garcia there at first base and you want him to be getting at-bats. But, uh, you know, you start looking at Sodi, he continues to hit. You know, how much longer can you keep him down? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it is Las Vegas. And I think when we were looking at Kevin Smith's number, I think you had the numbers. You had to kind of take that in consideration as well. Um you know, JJ Bladet, like they're everybody's putting up big numbers right now, pretty much. Uh, they played in Reno, they played in Vegas, and, and it is what it is. But, um, you know, when you kind of look at Tyler, there's no question the bat is almost ready. Um, and his glove has gotten a lot better. And I think one of the things they wanted him to get used to in AAA was calling with Pitchcom, which is something he hadn't used, you know, coming up as a catcher. Um, but I don't know that the idea of him catching sometimes and playing first base at the big league level is so ridiculous. I mean, look at the backup catching situation with the A's right now. Um, it would be a lot nicer to have, uh, you know, Shea out of the lineup and Tyler as the catcher on the days that Shea's not catching than having somebody, and no offense to, to Carlos Perez, who I, I really like a lot, but like, the, you know, that you don't dip down um, from a hitting perspective nearly as much. Um, if you're looking, or, you know, you may even increase if you're looking at having Tyler in there some of the time. And, um, you know, we forget like Carlos Delgado was a catcher at the beginning of his career. It, yeah. it could be something that he gets a few years out of it and then maybe eventually transitions full time to first base, but he's not been horrible there. You know, you've seen guys that are worse get to the big leagues as a defensive catcher than what he's at right now. Um, and he's shown he's willing to work at it and he's shown he's very coachable. So, um, you know, I don't think that is the reason they'll keep him down. Um, but, you know, if he keeps doing this and they keep producing what little they've produced so far with their lineup, I think there's got to be a way to get him in there somewhere. The great Dave Stewart was a catcher. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> now, I want to quote Moneyball. Hey, Wash, is it tough to play first base? It's incredibly hard. Okay, so I got him playing catcher all the time, and I'm going to bring him up. He's going to play first base, but he didn't play first base. Well, he's playing. He's, he's been on like a 3-3, three, three, you know, or, or a 3-2, then DH1 kind of situation. So he's caught, caught three, played first base twice, then he DH pretty much, you know, for the last two years. But if um, I bring him to the big leagues, I'd rather have 3-1-1 one, and one or at first base. <laughs> I mean, because, like, Lang yeah. Langoliers is playing. He's playing yeah. behind the – I'm going to need him at first base. I'll be honest. I, I'm not so sure Shea doesn't need more rest than he's been getting. I, you know, I think um, this may have been a little bit of uh, the fire hose a little too quickly um, for a young catcher to be coming in, especially this season with the rule changes and everything else and having to absorb all of that and playing every single day with almost out of break. Um you know, I'm not sure adding another rookie catcher to that situation is, is the best thing. But uh, I think you've seen some of the struggles defensively with his throwing in particular. It seems like the game is speeding up a little bit on him. Um, and, I, you know, I think that's something that, that maybe needs to be addressed a little bit, um, at least until these rules kind of become second nature. But, um, and, you know, as for Tyler, I mean, you know, he's he was an infielder in high school along with catching. He has a long history of, you know, playing first base, playing some third base. He's a good athlete. I don't think he needs a ton of time there. I mean, you know, the A's are famous for bringing guys up and being like, oh, you're a second baseman now. Go ahead, Max Muncy, and make your debut there, right? Like, that's that's not like – Jordan it, Diaz. Jordan you know, Diaz is a great example. Good luck. You know, you can't play third base. We'll go ahead and put you at second base. Like, that's – you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's I, I think there's something to be said for good athletes are going to figure it out. And I think Tyler Tyler's 
already at a base point that's way ahead of what, for instance, Scott Hatterberg was when they brought him in. So I don't think he'll need Ron Washington to be a good first baseman. I never forget looking it up last year going, Jordan Diaz is playing second base. Hey, look it up. Has he even played? Oh, that's right. He's never played second base ever, like ever, ever, ever. He signs as a professional. He's never played second base ever, and he played second base for the A's. One thing that drives me nuts, and it happens a lot in all of sports, and it happens in our sports, is people talk out both sides of their mouths, and it drives me nuts. And every single time we bring up a guy in Vegas, it's like, well, it's Vegas. Well, that's where they play. I can't, I, I can't change that. We have signed the affiliate agreement with Vegas, so our guys are playing in Vegas. They're playing in that league. This is what their numbers are going to be. And if everything is going to be, well, they're good in Vegas and then they suck in Oakland, guess what? We're doomed. We're absolutely doomed. I've got to have something to sell. And if you tell me that I can't trust anything in Vegas and then they're not going to come to Oakland to do it, well, then what are we doing? Yeah, I mean, I think you can trust it to a certain point. My my point more is that like just because it's been a hot week and a half doesn't necessarily. Oh no, I get, but we've been dealing with this for years, right? It's the same. All these teams like, well, it's Reno. Well, it's you know, it's like, well, that's where they play. What are we supposed to go off? And you know, if you're trying to say me, tell me that what they're doing in Vegas is never going to translate in Oakland, we're doomed. Yeah, well, at least until it merges into one, right? Yeah, but um, I mean, I you know, I think that it's. They had this issue almost in the reverse in Nashville, right? They they went from Sacramento, which was, I think, a, a fairly stable comparison to Oakland. It was still the PCL, but I think that was an environment that was closer to what you could expect, especially from the pitching side. The hitting side, I don't know that I worry too much because it, a guy controls the strike zone. You know, he's walking, he's striking out. The, the you know the ball coming off the bat you're going to be able to tell if this guy's for real it's the pitching that I think has been the biggest issue because you know guys are afraid to throw strikes there and I don't blame them you know you you get a ball off the end of the bat and all of a sudden it's going off the wall yeah. in Vegas it's teaching you some really bad habits and I think you know in Nashville it was almost the reverse where they had the problem where offensive players were going there and they were doing the right thing and not getting results and I think you saw that with Matt Olson a few years you saw that with Renato Nunez and a few others and they had to get to a point where there was a way for them to not get kind of caught up in what was going on in Nashville um, from a results perspective to get the confidence to get these guys to Oakland and have it work out. And it's almost the reverse now with Vegas, and they haven't had a lot of time yet to kind of stabilize there. Um, I think they will figure it out, but it, it's tough. I mean, you know, you look at like teams that have had their affiliates in Albuquerque and Salt Lake City and stuff, sometimes they just skip AAA for their top pitching prospects and they bring them right up from AA, you know, because um, that league is so tough and the, you know, the the elevations are so, um, you know, different from what you've got down here. Uh, trying to get people to throw their breaking stuff is really hard. And um, I, I don't know if there's a correlation, but the fact that they've the A's pitching has struggled so much with their off speed and their breaking balls um, so far this season you know, coming from Phoenix, it's sort of a similar thing, right? Like where you've got that similar uh, air and that similar, um, you know, sort of lack of the sort of whatever atmosphere we have here in Oakland. But in any case, I think, you know, 
they're, they're, they've got to figure out a better way to handle development for pitching from the Pacific Coast League to getting to Oakland. Um, it's just been really out of whack the last couple of years, and it's set them back quite a bit not, to not have had the guys coming up behind the Shamanias and the Chris Bassett's and the Frankie Montas's to take over. I mean, that gap is the reason they're here right now. The offensive struggles are what they are, but they'd be able to work around those. It's the pitching that's really got them in this situation. Didn't the Dodgers for years have Albuquerque as their AAA? Mm-hmm. And they skipped it, a lot of it. You know, they would bring guys up from double A, and now they're in Oklahoma City, which is a much more normal environment. I mean, yeah. it's still the Pacific Coast League, but um, it, it, it was not a great place for them to, to teach pitching. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in Vegas, it's not just the, the elevation and the, and the heat, you know, it's the wind, and there's all sorts of things that go into it that can make it a tough place to pitch. All right, before we let you go, by the way, I always say this, Oklahoma City, right next to the ballpark is Mickey Mantle's Steakhouse. It's one of the best steakhouses I've ever been. So if anybody's ever in Oklahoma City, great steakhouse. And Oklahoma City's a sneaky, fun uh, city. There's a lot of good to be had in Oklahoma City. Uh, quickly, I know you got to run. Uh, who are the guys right now? I know it's early. They've just started. But who? give me a few names that have excited you so far. Yeah, I mean, I think from a pitching perspective, it's been really good to see Mason Miller had a really nice start um, in his first outing. Ryan Kusick's first outing looked better than he pitched last year. Um, you look at that Lansing rotation, Jack Perkins had five uh, no-hit innings. Uh, Jacob Walt- Waters had a nice debut. So uh, I think it's maybe still a little bit further away than what they could use right now, but there there is better pitching coming. And so if they can figure out a way to kind of smooth that p- transition point from Vegas to to Oakland, I think they will see better pitching on the horizon pretty soon. You know how much we appreciate your work on The Athletic. It's absolutely fantastic. So I tell everybody, and it really doesn't matter what sport you're into, the ad, the journalism on The Athletic just proves if you do good stuff, people will pay for it. So whether you're a football fan, basketball fan, they do a ton of soccer. But for baseball, it's second to none. And what you do on there covering the A's and our minor league system, it's outstanding. I think everybody, I, I subscribe. I think everybody should subscribe to The Athletic and always appreciate your time and, and everything you do for us here on A's Cast Live. Oh, thank you. I, th- I appreciate you having me on. Take care. Thanks. Yeah, The Athletic's no joke. It doesn't matter what, uh, doesn't matter what sport. And I don't follow soccer. I'm not a soccer guy, but I get all the notifications about soccer, and uh, and they cover everything. And their football coverage is it's uh, it's really good. Now you're a Warrior fan. They got great because let's face it, you're not getting it from the newspapers anymore. This is where you want to get a stuff, giant stuff, Bay Area. You want to get your stuff that you're not getting from the newspapers anymore. You're going to get it on The Athletic. Uh, two updates quickly. And they don't pay me, by the way. I'm not, I don't work for The Athletic. I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm being honest. Good journalism. You're a fan. Of I'm, the, a fan. Of the, I'm a, a fan. I'm a fan of their work. Uh, two things. Martin Gallego said that, uh, tweeted out that during Mark Hotze's media session, Seth Brown has a, um, has a bleak injury. He could keep up from anywhere between four to six, four to six weeks, I believe is what it was. Four to six. Why? Well, let me get the exact terminology. I was looking at on my phone. Well, I, I, I said yesterday. When you when you look at that type of injury, like a hamstring, an oblique, it's rest. That's the number one. Yeah, you're going to do all the different things that the trainers are going to do with you, but the number one thing that you're going to do to heal is rest. And four to six weeks, that's a month to a month and a half. Yeah, di- diagnosed with a grade two oblique strain per the A's. Estimated recovery is four to six weeks. So- month 
and a half. Where are we? What's the date today? The, the 11th? Yeah. So we're looking at mid-May. He could be back a little May. bit before June. Yeah. June. This is the guy that's supposed to lead your team in home runs. A lot of people need, might need to change their per, uh, prediction on that one. And then uh, Bill Moriarty had this. Mason Miller, he's made one start in AA Midland. He's already been promoted to AAA. Um, Jake Fishman, went down, one on the IL down there. Um, Parker Dunchy's on the active roster, and Luis Medina's on the uh, temporary and active list. I don't know if that's why they called Miller up for that, but Mason Miller made one start because Melissa was talking about him, and I saw that. Um, throws hard. He looked good in his first start in Midland from what I read, and now he's already in AAA. No one's going to no one's gonna, no one's gonna sit back and go, I, I don't like that. I mean, it's going to be hopefully not like last year's 64 players, but hopefully – you know, the young guys who come up have some success and show that they can compete because that's what we saw with the majority of the guys that came up last year is they can't compete. So when you're going to bring up Soderstrom, I know Geloff's hurt or Diaz or Mason or any of these guys, like come up and show that you can compete at this level and not, not, not just get beat up. You're just not a body. You're just not a jersey. You're someone that can come up and you can legitimately play in the big leagues and be productive, whether it's pitching, offense. Once again, pitching, offense, defense, can you be productive? And that's what, what you need to find. Because right now, I mean, this has been rough. And, right, and they, they was um, I was looking at this earlier, just tying in with the AAA and everything at the minors because of Melissa being on. Um, Sam Dykstra covers the minor leagues for MLB.com. Uh, or M-I-L- MILB.com put out like the slash lines for all the different affiliates yeah. and leagues. And the PCL, the batting average average is 271. The on base is 379. And the, and the OPS, or the slugging is 465. It's pretty good hitting down there in Vegas right now. I don't care. I'm at a point to where I don't care. I need guys that can play. And if if we're sending our players there, that's where these guys have to play. And if I have to hear one more guy go, well, that's Vegas, that's his numbers, well, then you know what? How the hell are we ever going to win? How the hell are we ever going to win if all we ever sit here and say, our players stink, but they're only good in Vegas? How are we going to win? How are we going to win? Explain that to me. And you know what? Nobody has an answer for me. So then I don't want to hear it. You're talking out both sides of your mouth. I want to tell me how we can get players that can play at this level and compete. And if you send them to Vegas and they play well at Vegas, but that doesn't matter, then what are we doing? What do we do? I'm a little over that that they play in Vegas, they play in Sacramento. Oh, do you know how many times we've heard that already this year? Well, yeah, that's the first thing we from kept- people, and I don't want to call anybody out, but here, oh, that's Vegas, oh, that's Vegas, oh, that's Vegas. Okay, so how are we ever going to get better? No one can give me the anybody that says it again. And if you're watching this, I'm warning you now. If you ever say to me, well, that's Vegas, I'm going to go, well, then tell me an answer. Give me, a, give me the answer of how we get better then. And you better have an answer. You better have an answer because I'm tired of hearing that. I'm tired of hearing the Vegas excuse. All right? Can the guy – you should be able to watch as a talent evaluator. You should be able to watch a player and decide is his skill level good enough to compete or not – I don't care what the numbers are. Can he compete? For some reason in other sports, and I know some A's fans, oh, he, he brings up other sports. Well, tough. 
There's a talent evaluators in the NFL who will go look at guys who play in smaller conferences. They're not playing in the SEC. They're not playing in the Big Ten. They're not playing in the ACC. They're not playing in the Pac-12. They're not playing in the Big 12. And they go find players. They go find players in one double-A. They find players. They have eyes for talent, and they find players. Coordinators, quarterbacks from a small school. I'm so sick and tired. Uh, it's Vegas. Well, can the guy play or not? Can you evaluate talent? Can we evaluate talent? That's what I want to know. There's I'll, a eight. Are we the only? Are we the only team that has guys in this league? Uh, no, the Giants, the Dodgers. Um, you know, pretty much every, every West Coast team, essentially. And by the way, Angels. I'm not talking about our front office because our front office never says that. I'm not no. talking about our front office. Our front office, David Fortz never said, well, that's Vegas. He's never said that. We've asked him about what it's like to evaluate. That's not our front office. It's more media, more all these other people who every single time we bring up, say, oh, it's Vegas. Well, then give me an answer then, smart guy. If you got so many answers and you're so easy to be critical, tell me how we get better. Because I'm tired of it. It's getting old. Hey, if a guy's playing well, he's playing well, right? Can you evaluate? Can we evaluate talent? Um, I I don't think it's a small sample size when Kevin Smith has 16 home runs since September 9th. Oh, but it was spring training. Oh, now it's spring training. So Kevin Smith can't make the team because it's spring training, but Brent Rooker made the team because it's spring training. It's like that that one will still. It's like I I I I don't know where to go. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to go because people want us. To say, how does the team get better? It is interesting what Melissa said. I don't, I don't, I haven't seen the A's do it since I've been here. I don't think I've really seen them do it. But the idea of skipping AAA completely into PCL and having guys go from AA straight to them. I know the Angels have done it with a few guys. Skipping AAA completely and just going from AA. By to the A. way, you know who's down in AAA? Your favorite Angel. Uh, Killing Joe, it right now. Joe Adele. Joe Call Adele. Call him up. Call him up. I saw that MLB.com. They had this picture of it. I went, there he is. There's your guy. Super prospect Joe Adele, been a super. How many years has he been a super prospect now? Like eighteen years. Uh, close enough. I'll say fifteen. Yeah, he's got a career. He's he's got a career of super prospect. He's still young though. He's like what twenty three years. Yeah, I don't. Like yeah, we always talk about him, but he is still still really young. Joe Adele is. <laughs> Joe Adele is twenty four years old. Well, that's not when you've been. How many years of baseball has he been in? 24 is not that young anymore. He's played in a total of 161 games in the major yeah, leagues. 24 is not – you may be by age, but in baseball, you like dog years. How many years has he been playing? How many years has he been collecting a check? Let's see. What was his first year? Oh. 2017. <laughs> it's it's 2023. He's been collecting a check since 2017. Whoa. Have you seen his numbers in, in, in for Salt Lake in a PCL? I saw a I went Three? I, I don't know. All I know is MLB.com, I saw a picture of him in a video talking about how he's going off. What are the numbers? 353 average, a 1,564 OPS. He has, 11, he has 12 hits. Seven of them are home runs, and four of them are doubles. So he has one single. The rest are home runs and doubles. And you know what? I'd take him on the A's right now. I, I would. I'd take him on the – you want to tell me it's just where – where's their AAA? Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City. You ever been to Salt Lake City? I have not. It's on my list of places to visit. It's beautiful. kind of reminds me of Reno. I was just going to look up Re- the Reno Aces because everyone goes, oh, it's Reno. Because when the when we played, I don't first count anything. There. I don't count anything in Reno because it's the biggest little city in the world. <laughs> that scares me. 
Where's, where's the stats? Reno, as you people in the East Coast call it, Nevada. Uh, it's Nevada. Thank you. Uh, all right, let's see. Let's just want to look up some of the guys. This is this is the Diamondbacks AAA affiliate where Corbin Carroll was. Um, he's hey, having buddy, a nice start to his career. By the way, is he any good? Hey, he's pretty good. Alec Thomas is pretty good. You want to talk about stolen bases, whether they stole him in Reno or they steal? Wait a minute. Jake McCarthy's pretty good for them. Think about this. Think about this for a second. If your AAA is in is in Reno and your spring training is in Arizona and you play in Arizona, so the majority of all the time of being a D-back player, you're going to be playing in thin air or altitude. Uh, correct. So that might be apples to apples when it comes to how do you play. How's your spring training work? Well, that's how it's going to work at. What are they? Are they still the Bob? What the hell do they call that place? Oh, their stadium? Yeah. In Reno? Let's see. No, no. In uh, Arizona. Used to be the Bob. Uh, no, it's, it's Chase Field or whatever. Yeah. It's a bank. Yeah, Chase. Okay. So, I don't know. Last time I checked, that's in that's in downtown Phoenix, right? Uh, yes. So, isn't the air in downtown Phoenix the same as where their spring training facility is? Uh, yes. I mean, I'm not into. You're not a meteorologist. I'm not in the atmosphere, but I'm. I'm assuming. So, if you have a good spring training, I can say that's apples because we all always go. Oh, it's not sea level. Arizona might have that advantage. I'm looking at the numbers for the Aviators. JJ Blade, three forty three average, three home runs in Vegas. Uh, Tyler Soderstrom, two home runs, seven RBIs, two ninety four average. Jordan Diaz, two eighty one, one home run, six RBI. These guys, are, what are you going to say? Well, they're playing. Kyle Stevenson has a three eighty five batting average. Okay, but I don't care. I'm just looking on base of, like, these guys, they're going to get a chance eventually this year. Yeah, I mean. I, I can say. I, 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 you know how I can evaluate it? A guy is having success. Yes. Okay, a guy is making contact. A guy is making quality contact. Right? I can decide. If, if, if. If he's hitting every ball off the end of the bat and getting hits, I'm going to see that. I'm also going to see if he's squaring it up. I got to see if a guy is having success. So we are we going to spend the rest of our days going, well, we got these guys who are doing well, but it doesn't matter. Like, what do we do then? What, what What's the answer? We're not changing affiliates. We are going to be in Vegas. So what do we do? There's nothing you can do. You have to – Based off what these guys are doing, and hope they, I think we can all agree Tyler Soderstrom is going to be, hopefully, be a good player for the A's in the major leagues. I mean, shouldn't I be able to have somebody sitting there watching, going, "Hey, this guy's swinging it well." Yes, yeah, so that's what scouts are for. I mean, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we be able to? I mean, other teams. Once again, our front office doesn't say this, so no. this is not about our front office. Our front office doesn't go, "Oh, it's Vegas." They've never said that to us. It's everyone else. It's everybody else. <laughs> yeah. So well, I'm talking about everybody else. It just drives me nuts. Everybody else, it's very good. Like, like everybody else now is some smart guy. If they were so smart, they'd be actually be working in baseball, making more money than the job they're doing now. Uh, one last thing on AAA. Uh, Paul Blackburn's making a start for Vegas tonight. That's good news. Yeah, that is good news. So Paul, coming back from the fingernail issue, hopefully this is the last one. Uh, hopefully he's back. You know. And he's frustrated. I ran into him. I ran into him before, right before he went into to uh, Stockton. Right, he made a yeah, start. Yeah, I ran into him, and he's frustrated. I mean, it's a nail. I mean, 
come on. That, that's tough to deal with. All right, do you want to uh, – what time? How much time we got? We got about, about 15 minutes. All right. Coming up next. Toronto. You want to do that now or take a quick let's break? Do, let's, let's get the sponsors in. Okay. Coming up next, it's interesting how teams are changing their ballparks, and it's going to dramatically change their teams. We'll talk about next right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Towns, and there are two things that are a must for me, comfort and style. Whether I'm playing golf, going to dinner, I've got to have the right feel. That's why I've partnered with Link Soul, and you're going to love Link Soul. They have just released their new spring line, new fabrics for their polos, lightweight and perfect for technical performance. Link Soul also has new styles for their layers and hoodies with cool prints and seasonal colors. You know what they say in the big leagues, look good, play good. Go to LinkSoul.com. That's LinkSoul.com. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, we got A's Total Access coming up here. What time? Uh, 2.55. 2.55? So we got about 10 minutes left. Ben McDonald will be our guest. Yep. Ben McDonald, uh, Jessica Kleinschmidt, Melanie Newman. Vince has told me he's going to Brandon High tomorrow, the manager of the Orioles. So there you go, a lot of A's Orioles content coming away the next Two days on Bay Area Zone. He's yeah. from Santa, Santa Rosa. Rosa. Yeah. Friend of the program. We had him on last year on the field. It was good to find yeah, him. Yeah, are we going to get him on the field next time that's, around? That's why I didn't ask for him this time. I figured we'd get Cole. Oh, you just big league Vince. Vince, you take him now. I'll wait. Yeah, I told him already. Oh, wow. Friday, we're shooting okay. for uh, for Mets. I want to get Mark Hanna again, not because to talk to Mark Hanna, but he also has a cookbook coming out that he's the wrote. The great Mark Hanna. We he's an author Mark now. Canna. An author now. Except Mark Hanna's mad at me on Twitter. Fake Mark Canna's mad at me, you yeah. said? Yeah, uh, yeah. Mark Canna and I love the guy. Fake Mark Canna got a problem with Townie. It's true, he does. What's his latest problem you're telling me? Somewhat throwing out the phone number, then no one there to answer the calls or something. Uh, hey, I'm throwing out the number right now. If Robert Costa wants to answer it back in the studios, you could talk to Robert. 833-625-2278. Does, does he not know we don't take phone calls? We don't have the equipment set up to take phone calls in studio. Yep. We're set up more as a television studio. We're not set up as a radio studio. Yeah, it's uh Does it's he a, not know that? I don't think so. I don't think maybe it doesn't. Care. We don't we we don't have we don't have a number for you to call in. We don't have a switcher for to route you into our board. We don't have we're more we're we're basically a television slash streaming studio. That's how I built this. We're not built like an actual radio station. So we do not have the ability to take phone calls. So when we joke and give out the number 833-625-2278, those go back to a studio that we have built inside. You call it Oracle Arena. I call it, I don't even know what we call it. Is it Oakland Arena? It's Oakland Arena. It's now Oakland Arena. We have a studio that's built as a radio studio that the game, that's where the A's cast official studio is, that our terrestrial radio stations take the signal from that studio. And that's where you can call in, and that's how the post-game show phone calls work. We here, or when we're down on the field doing the show at the Coliseum, do not have the technology, nor did we ever really want to do it. That's not how we were setting this show up was to take phone calls. Phone calls are for the post-game show. Exactly. And if you call the post-game show, you will get on. 
Yeah, 833-625-2278. There's never a, well, he's not taking phone calls tonight. Now, if I'm not taking phone calls. Usually means no no one's called. You think I, I say this all the time. I've just done a two-hour show. I now got a pregame show. I now got hits inside the game. And now for the fifth time of the day, I got to be back on the air to do a postgame show. You think I just want to talk by myself at night? No. Do, do, does really Pete, like, like, okay, I can handle the misinformation that the fan base has about ballpark stuff, about the organization, and the stuff you put out on Twitter. And so I can handle that. Fans are fans. I get it. And everybody, everybody's going to read situations the way they want to read it, and they're going to read it what's best for them, right? What's best for them? What's the best case scenario for me? That's how fans work. That's how you should work. You are you. What's best for you? I can handle that. But when you tell me someone says, oh, yeah, yeah, they say something, like, do you guys really think I'm sitting there late at night after I've talked all day long that I just want to talk and I'm not taking phone calls? Because you just think after we've lost five straight in a row, we're just lit up with phone calls in the postgame show? Like when, when you lose 102 games, phone calls are not the same Winning seasons to losing seasons. Winning seasons, it happens all year long. Losing seasons, not so much. So, yeah, old Townie's not sitting there just wanting to talk to himself all night long in the postgame show. So, let your little friends know that when they go, he's not taking phone calls. The organization won't allow him. Uh, That's called misinformation. So, if you have a problem with us and – you want to call tonight? I'll no, be there. Eight three three six two five two two seven eight. You want? I'll be there. I'll take it one step. You further. can call me. I'll be there. Once the game ends, I do a quick thing with Ken Korak. He's out of here, and then I'm all yours. You want to call in and ask a question? Uh, if you have a problem, come voice in person at the Treehouse on Friday when we're up there. We'll be there. Starting. Oh, no one's hiding from you. Four thirty no, starts. Nobody is hiding from you. We will be in the Treehouse. Be there. Treehouse 430, we'll be on at 4, but in the treehouse. I used to be in the treehouse before every game. Yeah, every fr- well, Who's hiding from you? Every Friday home game, we'll be in there. No one gets in front of the fans more than we do in baseball. That's fact. We're on the field. You could come down and see us on the field and be like, hey, we're right there. You could practically reach out and touch us. I mean, some guy, young Max, saved your life last week. Yes, with a catcher's glove. Uh Quickly. Five minutes to get into the to talk about Jace. <laughs> so they are changing the ballpark in Toronto, the Rogers Center. The right fields, the right center field fences is 16 feet closer to home plate, though the height of the fence was raised to 14 feet, 14 inches. But they've changed it all over. I don't have time. It's here in the notes. They've changed left field, right field, left center, right center, left center power alley, right center power alley, and straightaway center field. So basically they've changed everything, whether they brought it in or raised raised, raised the, the height of the wall. So if you go back last year, because the stat cast, we can trace every single home run and every ball that wasn't a home run. So under the new dimensions – This year, in Toronto versus last year, there would be 26 balls that were not 
home runs would now be home runs. We don't know if there are doubles off the wall. They're caught at the warning track. We don't know. We just know there were 26 balls last year that would now be home runs this year in their new new dimensions starting today, the home opener in Toronto. So then you should ask, well, then how many home runs would not? How many, how many home runs would not? Just seven. Oh, okay, that's pretty good. So that's a difference in 19 home runs. And I found it funny watching MLB Network today. They made it seem like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. Well, you just said earlier in this program, the Athletics only hit 137 home runs last year. 19 home run difference at home? Not saying that they would all be for the A's, but any any difference in home runs for the A's would have been – the A's could add 145 – hey, the A's had 145 home runs, Captain Obvious, they're not losing 102. Maybe they lose 98. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. Okay. I don't know much of big – I mean, it's going to make a change. It's going to be drastic, but yeah, that'll – But this sure. is how drastic the, t- the change in Toronto is going to be changing just looking at those numbers it was a a, a a net add of 19 home runs okay if you look at once again if you look at last year's balls that were hit out and were close their noon dimensions would mean 26 more would go out and then there's seven that went out that wouldn't that's an add of 19 home runs that would take the rogers center last year they ranked fifth in home runs do you know where they would rank now I think you told me it was first. One. It would take him from one of the best hitting ballparks to the very best. The new dimensions, if it played out the way it did last year, the Rogers Center will now be the number one place to hit in all of baseball. Yeah, I saw a sign about Matt Chapman's home runs, how he would have had three more or something because he did hit a lot of home runs at home last year. It's where majority of his home runs came yeah. from. Uh, Brandon Belt was quoted about it. Brandon, yeah, Belt. oh Matt Chapman. I mean, if you go to Matt Chapman's numbers last year, he was terrible on the road. Yeah, I can do it real quick because, I mean, it gives you a great example when people look at somebody's home. When people, when you look at somebody's year and they go, "Hey, look what they did." Well, it's like, I mean, uh, Matt Chapman on the road hit uh, two eighteen with eight home runs and thirty RBI at home. He hit nineteen home runs and hit two forty. Okay, so now, now you tell me this, and we love Matt Chapman. I love him. I'm rooting for him. I hope he has a great year, gets a big contract. Matt Chapman on the road hit 218 and had an OPS of 693. That is what kind of player? Um, I'd say below average. That's a below average player. And that's 81 games of a below average player. But – you put him in a ballpark that we know now was fifth in home runs. He's now an 826 OPS, and he's a good player. He only had eight doubles at home, by the way. Eight. Yeah, it's not that. I mean, Nin- 19, 19 on the road. <laughs> 19 home runs. How many doubles? Eight do- 19 home runs, eight doubles at home. It's not great, but he's a very productive player at home. He's a below average on the road. Yeah. It's a way to put good way to put it. Yeah. To where I, I didn't be interested to see the year Donaldson won the MVP, how good he was. All righty, that is gonna do it for Ace Cast Live. We are back tomorrow. We'll be at NBC tomorrow. A different studio. Yeah, the Xfinity studio in NBC in San Francisco. Who do we got? Bob Nightingale, because he wrote a good piece about the Diamondbacks and how they're changing the game with stealing bases. The snakes. And uh and Bip Roberts will join us in studio because you're doing pre and post with him. The great Bip Roberts, the former all-star, the Bipster. Thank you, Ben McDonald. Thank you, Melissa Lockhart. Thank you, 
for watching A's Cast Live. Up next, A's Total Access, getting you ready for the Athletics and the Orioles right here on A's Cast. This is Chris Towns, and there are two things that are a must for me, comfort and style. Whether I'm playing golf, going to dinner, I've got to have the right feel. That's why I've partnered with Link Soul, and you're going to love Link Soul. They have just released their new spring line, new fabrics for their polos, lightweight and perfect for technical performance. Link Soul also has new styles for their layers and hoodies with cool prints and seasonal colors. You know what they say in the big leagues, look good, play good. Go to linksoul.com. That's linksoul.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.